Hello and shalom. Welcome to this episode of Image Bearers Radio. I'm your host, Joe Amon. We got a great show ahead, so buckle up and hang on. Here we go. Well, shalom, shalom, everybody. Hey, welcome to this episode, this week's episode of Image Bearers Radio, IBR. I am your host, Pastor Joe Amon, coming to you all the way from southwest Louisiana and out of Ashes Ministries. Hey, how are you this week? I always ask that question like I can hear you. But you know what? A lot of times it's good for people to just ask and sincerely mean, how are you guys doing? I really, really do hope you're doing fantastically well. I hope that the Father is speaking to you. We're in the, we're in the counting of the Omer. such a special time as we prepare for Shavuot. And so I hope the Spirit is speaking to you and Hashem is working in your life and working things out for your good, as I know He is. And uh, just super excited to be back with you this week. This week, we have a little something special. We have a throwback Parsha teaching. Uh, Parsha Imor is where we are this week, and um, we cover the feast days and some really other important stuff. And uh, so we have a throwback teaching from 2018. Um, the sound is a little different. It's a little bad, I'll just admit. But um, this is from a few years ago, and uh, I just I couldn't say it better today than I think we did back then. So I want to share that with you if you haven't uh, heard it. And uh, just want to say thank you to everyone who's listening. Uh, whether it's your first time or you're a regular listener, we really, really appreciate it. And as always, thanks to Hebrew Nation uh, for hosting us and allowing us this privilege and this outlet to be able to talk to so many awesome people. Thank you for being a great community. We appreciate you very, very, very much. Uh, as always, just a reminder, we always live stream, or as long as our internet is working and, and, the, and the computer and everything is, is uh, talking and everything's good, we live stream our services on Shabbat mornings at 10 a.m. You can find that online at our website at outofashesministries.org, or you can check us out on Facebook as well, YouTube. We simulcast, and then the teachings are always archived on our website, YouTube, podcast, iTunes, Google Podcast, all the, all the places. So check us out. We really, really appreciate it. Love this community and are so thankful. Hey, we are looking forward to Shavuot, so I hope you're counting the Omer and doing some type of devotional message, some some something preparing you for uh, Shavuot and that great and, and very, very important anniversary. And uh, so before we get into this week's episode, let's pray together to the Father. Avinu Malkinu, our Father and King, Avinu Shabbat Shemayim, our Father in Heaven. We are so privileged and honored to be able to be together, to talk about your word, to talk about and meditate on you. And Father, I pray that through the things we discuss today, we would leave this podcast, radio show, in a better equipped to bear your image in our world. If you read Emor and you're new to the Torah walk, one of the things that 
you might have realized is that there's a really hyper, super, critically important chapter in this Parsha. Does anybody know what it is? All of them. If you were thinking Leviticus 23, then hopefully I got you. But once you start reading this Parsha, you get to 21, 22, okay, priests and defilement and uh, what does this all have to do with anything? And then for a lot of people, it's like, oh, hey, here's chapter 23. This is one of my favorite chapters. It's all about the feast days. And the feast days are extremely, vitally, incredibly important. Please don't, under, please don't misunderstand that I'm taking away from that at all. However, I do want to point out that if we lean on Leviticus 23 in this Parsha or in any part, somebody may say, well, how much do you read Leviticus? Well, I know two chapters or three chapters, Leviticus 10, Leviticus 14, Leviticus 23, because they deal with the things that we think are really super hyper important to God. And they are. That's dietary and that's feast days. My point is not to take away, like I said, from any of those. But when we come into this understanding that the Torah is a thing and that it's what our Messiah taught and lived and he instructed his Talmudim, his disciples, to teach it and live it. And they all did. And so did Shaul, Rav Shaul, the Apostle Paul, lived and taught the Torah until he died. And when we understand that when Yeshua returns as the Davidic Messiah and he will return to rule and reign that Torah will be the law of the land we understand all those things when we first come into that understanding our our propensity or our inclination is to focus on two parts of scripture and that is the feast days and that is the dietary instructions and what I just want to cast out there for your thought is those things are are hyper important and I think that's what we focus on because that kind of hits us real life you know what I mean right because um, because we're used to Christmas and Easter. And when we realize, well, hey, wait, God gave us festivals and those two aren't there. So when we realize those things and when we realize God taught us how to eat, when we realize that those are things that impact us real life. And so we tend to focus on those and we tend to breeze past in this, in this Parsha, for instance, chapters 21, 22, and 24. And we tend to focus on the things that that makes sense to us and that impact us realistically. And so part of this is just a, a thing to kind of help you think. And part of it is kind of a caution that while we want to do everything we can to understand and keep the appointed times, the Muadim, and while we want to do our best to put in our bodies the things that God actually intended as food, we can't, we can't put those things up on a pedestal above the rest of the Torah. Okay? So... Beginning in, in uh, Parsha Amor, Leviticus 21, excuse me, and I'm reading from the, uh, the complete Jewish Bible this morning. <coughs> excuse me. It says, And Adonai said to Moshe, Speak to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron, and tell them. So, first of all, in this verse here, Moshe is speaking to the Kohanim. And remember this, that because repetition is important, that all... Kohen or Kohenim are Levites, but not all Levites are Kohenim. Remember that, right? There's the whole tribe of Levi that are Levites. There's the sons of Aaron that are the Kohenim, the priests. Okay, so remember that. So what do all the all the lot of Levites in the temple? Yeah, 
It takes a lot of work. What are they doing? Well, they're mater d's and they're doing traffic and somebody's cleaning the bathrooms and you know that's that's part of the Levitical uh, Levitical thing. There's much more to it than that. But so this is speaking to the Kohanim, the sons of Aaron. Remember that's important because of what's going to be said now. In traditional understanding, in, in rabbinic understanding, this verse takes on this uh, part of this verse. The first part of this verse takes on a, a, a life all its own in this speaking, immor, speak, to the children of Aaron. Now, these are not children like the children that we had up here. These are grown men. But there is something in the teaching, and, and the, the idea of teaching also has the idea of enlightenment. So who gets enlightened when you're teaching? Wrong. <laughs> I'm glad you said that. That's what we all think. We all think enlightenment and instruction has to do with the student or the receiver. But this enlightenment actually points back to the teacher. The teacher gains enlightenment from teaching. So Avi and I were having this discussion this morning, and you guys know I'm really candid, so I try to be at least, um, something that I've really dropped the ball on is really having a, a pragmatic approach to the scriptures with my children. They get it in homeschool. They get it here. We talk about scripture all the time at home. But a really systematic, pragmatic approach to studying the Torah with, our, with my children. And this really came up again to, uh, this week in reading this Parsha because it is for them. You're instructing them. But the enlightenment comes to you. For instance, we talk about father and children relationships all the time because that's really important to me. And how many times did you say as a teenager, I'll never say what my parents said. I'll never say that. I'll never. We've all done it. And then how many of you remember as a parent the first time those words came out of your mouth, but it wasn't your voice you heard. It was your parents. And it's like, I am, I am my mother or my father, you know. But what happens in that is that while you're teaching your children the stuff that you revolted against as a teenager, they're hearing instructions. They're hearing, do this, do this, do this. But what are you hearing? You're understanding the why of what they're doing. You know, we've said before that it's really important to remember that the way that most of us grew up in our, in our uh, traditional uh, biblical training, theological training, is that we want to understand things before we act on them. Want to get it all straight, make sure I got everything, okay, everything's good, right, okay, now I can move forward and be obedient. That's not the biblical model. The biblical model is Hashem gives a commandment, we begin to do it, are we going to do it right? And you know what, he knows that. Like That's built into the process, all right? So it's built into the process that we're going to flub this up a few times, before we actually kind of start tracking. But we start to do it, and in doing it, we start to understand. The whole Shabbat is a, a perfect uh, kind of inner cosmos of that, because as we'll read in, in, in chapter 23, the Shabbat happens every seven days. The feast days, I don't know how many people I've heard over the, over the years say, Man, I just learned so much about, you know, Pesach this year. I just learned so much more about whatever, this, this Shabbat or this whatever. And you know what? That's how it's supposed to be. The Father in his infinite wisdom gave us this stuff in a cycle. My dad always used to say, 
Repetition, repetition, repetition. When I'd mess up, he's like, we just did this. We just did this 20 minutes ago. Repetition, repetition, repetition. That's how we learn. You don't think God knows that? He created us. He gets it. So every seven days we learn about Shabbat. Some of you are wondering, sitting here wondering, well, how do I keep Shabbat? Some of you watching my live stream wondering, how do you keep Shabbat? You start keeping Shabbat. Well, but how? Well, read the passages and start doing that. And as you do it, you will learn more and more and more and more. I tell you all the time, Shabbat is one of the hardest mitzvah for me to really get a hold of. Because I'm ADHD, I think. That wasn't a thing when I was in school, but I, I or ADD at least, whatever the difference is. And Saturday is the day that you get all the stuff done. You didn't get to do all the rest of the week. You worked all week. Saturday is your day to get everything done. And that programming is still in me. Even keeping Shabbat for the last 10 years or so, it's still in there. And, and sometimes on Saturday mornings, I wake up going, okay, I got the grass done. I got to get this done. I got to go. And, and it's like, wait, no, it's Shabbat. So you learn by doing. We do and we gain understanding as we, as we do. And that's okay. God is not looking for perfection. God is looking for holiness. And those are two different things. So the Kohanim, we speak to the sons of Aaron, and we get to talking about, we're not going to go through all of this because you can read it, but basically we're talking about two different uh, standards. One standard for the Kohanim, who are the sons of Aaron, and one standard for the Kohen Gadol, the high priest, who is who? Aaron himself, right? We taught a lesson several months ago uh, several months ago, called Kedusha, K-E-D-U-S-H-A, <clears throat> excuse me. Kedusha is the process of sanctification. So most of us were taught when you receive Jesus, when you pray the sinner's prayer, which is not anywhere in the scripture, by the way, shh, um, when, you, when you receive Jesus, that you are all of the sanctified you're ever going to be. And that just doesn't fit. There is a part we have to play. And again, I'm not downplaying the life and, and, and sacrifice of Yeshua at all. On the contrary, I hope that that, that uplifts his lifestyle and, his, and his, his mission here in your eyes. Because now that I'm his, I have to walk like he walked. He himself said to walk as he walked. Well, Yeshua did not come to do away or minimize the Torah. If anything, he came the Torah on steroids. Don't just do stuff, but even if you think you've already, you're already guilty, that's heavy, and that's tough. He put his foot on the accelerator and said, okay, if we're going to live as the people of God, we're really going to do it in our hearts and our minds, and that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. So this idea of Kedusha is really interesting to me because God gave us a physical model of Kedusha, all right? It's really super simple. So we, I've drawn a, like a third grade picture on the board before, and, and so, but you have the, you have Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and in the center of Jerusalem, you have the what? The temple, the Beit HaMikdash, okay? Everyone can come up to the temple, but only certain people, ceremonially clean, can come inside into the, into the, the courts of the temple. That's a level of Kedusha. In other words, you can be as absolutely just crazy, carnal, sinful, whatever, but you can't approach the temple. You can have one or the other. 
You can have your lifestyle, but you're not getting close to the glory. I know this is going to mess, it messes with us because this is not the way we were taught. You can come as you are in the beginning, as you're learning. But there comes a point where we have to grow up and stop just bringing God all of our filth. We have to start to clean up a little bit and take responsibility for who we are and whose we are. As you get closer to the, the, uh, the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the Holy of Holies in the center of the temple, there are more restrictions on who can go there. Well, that's not fair. Well, pfft, life's not fair. Substitute teach for a little while in lower grades, and what you'll hear all day is, that's not fair. That's not fair. I don't care. It doesn't matter if it's not. Fair is not a thing. Okay? Fair is a made-up fantasy thing that if you've lived in real life for six months, you realize that there's nothing to this fair thing. (laughs) It's just something somebody made up. It doesn't work that way. But the father himself said, okay, to the Kohen, the priest, they're already at a certain level of Kedusha. They're already at a certain level of, there's things that they can't enjoy, things that they can't do, things that they can't touch, people, places that they can't go because of their office, because of where they serve. And that's what part of uh, chapter 21 and 22 talk about. So the Kohen um, is, talks about making himself unclean for any of his people who dies. So it's really backwards in our mentality because if you have a death, who's the one person you have to have there? The preacher, right? Who in our understanding stands in the, uh, I don't know. Anyway, I'm not going to get into all that. But you have to have the preacher there, right? The one who serves God for your group or whatever, your, your spiritual leader. But Vayikra tells us that the Kohen don't attend funerals. It makes you unclean and unfit to be in the, in the, in the temple, to serve in their, in their function. Now, if a Kohen said, well, that's not fair. My, you know, best friend's dog died and I'm going to that funeral. That's fine, but you're not going to serve. You can have one or the other. You can't have both. And we have such this, in Western American Christianity, we have such this, this both thing. Well, I, but I mean, I can, I can commit adultery and still worship God on Sunday mornings. That's cool. God accepts that. No. No, he doesn't. Well, I can be a wretched sinner and still serve God. No. No. You can come to him like that and he will rescue you out of that. But then he gave us instructions on how to live victoriously and live outside of that bondage to sin. So no funeral except for his mother, son, father, daughter, brother, those close to him. Okay. So and then it goes into the uh, the cutting of the hair and, and all that. We won't get into that. And then marriage, a Cohen, a priest is not to marry a woman who is a prostitute or has been profaned or has been divorced because he is set apart, verse 7, for our God. So not to marry a harlot or a prostitute, that kind of makes sense. But what, who is this woman that's been profaned? Well, some, some understand it to mean a woman who was violated, who was taken advantage of against her will, and that very well could be, you know, could be one of the meanings. Another meaning, though, that I found is that 
This could mean a woman whose father was a priest. And he married someone who was outside of the limits. So either she was a, a harlot or she had been divorced. And therefore his line now basically has become tainted. So because you remember, these are real people, right? These are people like us. They married inside their strata for the most part. Oh, well, you're a Cohen, you're a son of Aaron. Well, who are you going to marry? You're going to marry someone and you're on your level because it keeps all this stuff easier. Okay. Or someone who has been divorced for he is holy for his God. He's set apart. This is one of the steps of Kedusha. Now, does this go for all Israelites? No. Any common Israelite could marry pretty much anybody they wanted to. Well, within reason. We talked about that in our last Parsha. You can marry pretty much anybody you want to. This is a level of Kedusha. Do you understand? The constriction almost. That there's something you have to give up if you're going to serve in the Beit HaMikdash. Okay? Um, and then it goes on. Whether you're to set him apart as holy because he offers the, the bread of your God. He is holy for you because I, Adonai, makes you holy. Who makes you holy am holy. Uh, and then, uh, let's see, verse 10. The Kohen is ranked high. Um, all right. The Kohen who is ranked highest among his brothers, that's the Kohen Gadol, the high priest who is heir in this case, the one whose head the anointing oil is poured on and who is consecrated to put on the garments is not to stop grooming his hair, tear his clothes, go into where any dead body is to make himself unclean even if his mother or father dies. Do you see this next level of Kedusha? So his sons can go to, you know, close family members' funerals. The Kohen Gadol can't even go if his mother or father dies. It's not allowed. Why this restriction? Why this heavy restriction? What gives it to us in the previous words? Because his head is anointed with oil. That's a privilege to be anointed. Oh, come on. We're all Christians once. Well, not all of us, but most of us were Christians once. The anointing is the thing that you search, that you, that you grasp for your entire life. That's the one thing that you want is the anointing. We even have songs about it. Anointing, fall on me. Anointing, let the power of the Holy Ghost. Come on, you know the song. All right, well, not if you're Baptist, but <clears throat> the, the anointing is the one thing we want. That's a, that's a great privilege. He also is consecrated to put on the garments. The garments. Well, what garments? The gold investments we've talked about before and the linen investments on Yom Kippur. Both great privileges. But with those comes an ultimate responsibility. And what we find later in history, later after this in history, it says that he's, he's not to keep his hair unkempt or he's not to tear his clothes well, we find something really interesting in the Gospels that give us a little insight into the state of the priesthood at the time of Messiah. We find that the high priest at that time, who was Caiaphas, did what? Rent his garments, tore his clothes. So if he was a righteous, a Zadok, 
uh, righteous high priest, would he have done that? So that's just a little inkling into the character and into the integrity of the priesthood at that time. What we can't do is we can't look at Caiaphas and the Kohanim in Yeshua's day and apply that to all Kohanim and all, all high priests over history. Does that make sense? You, you can't say, well, they were corrupt in Yeshua's day. They were always corrupt. No, it didn't work like that. No Kohen Gadol ever died on the day of Yom Kippur. That should tell us something about the sanctification process that goes on. And it says, he may not leave the sanctuary then or profane the sanctuary of his God because the consecration of the anointing, uh, anointing all of God is on him. I am Adonai. Now, does that mean that he could never leave the temple ever? He's just secluded all the time? No. It means whenever there's the death of a loved one, of a close one, he's not to go out. What happened when Aaron's sons were killed with fire? God said, don't leave. Don't leave the tabernacle. What's interesting about that, kind of going back since I mentioned it, if you reread that, it says that they were consumed with fire, right? And then it says the next verse that some men came out and grabbed them by their cloaks and pulled them out. Does anybody else see a problem with that? If you're consumed by fire, you don't have a cloak to pull. So that's an interesting thought as in when the holy fire of God burns you, it burns you from the inside. It takes your breath. It's in the same fire that was in the bush, by the way, that did not consume. Remember that? Okay, we're getting off. All right, so... The Kohen uh, Gadol is also to marry a virgin, not a widow, not a divorcee, not a profane woman or a prostitute. He must marry a virgin from among his own people and not disqualify his descendants among the people. Why? Because I love how God does this. Because I am Adonai who makes him holy. Over and over in these few portions of Leviticus, you'll see I am God. I am God who makes you holy. I am the Lord. I, over and over and over and over and over. And when I read it, I hear, because I said so, because I said so, because I'm dad and I said so. My house, my rules. That kind of language, that's what I hear. But also that you're supposed to be like me. I want you to be like me. That's why you don't have much room to move. Okay, so let's, um, let's move on to chapter 23 and I'll, I'll wrap up. <coughs> Excuse me. So how many Moedim or appointed times are there in Scripture? What if I told you I disagreed? Would you be mad? <laughs> how many? Eight. I see eight. What did you say? I heard. Yeah. Right, if you count the, like, uh, Hanukkah and, and Purim. 
in Leviticus 23, really there's eight. There, yeah, there's seven main ones. But the reason I, I bring that question out is because so many times we forget that the first, uh, the first three verses of Leviticus 23 don't deal with Pesach or any of that. They deal with the Shabbat. That is the first appointed time. That is the basis for everything. Everything revolves around the Shabbat. And increasingly, and I, I said this would happen a few years ago, and then Hanok Young um, confirmed it. But this the idea that when the, when the church begins to monetize, figure out how to monetize Hebrew roots, Torah, Messianic, whatever you want to call it, then this movement really is going to struggle. And say, well, God, that's a really cynical look at it. Well, is it? Because there's a church in where? Where's the church you posted about, Roy? Anyway, there's a church that's going to start using um, like the Cirque du Soleil ribbon women. You know, the, the what, what is it? Aerialist. Aerialist. Aerial. Careful. Um, in worship. Now, whatever. It's arts, artsy-fartsy, cool, whatever. Do, do your thing. If your people like it, great, whatever, I guess. But if you look over church history, especially recent church history in the last hundred years, the church is cyclical just like everything else, and it operates in what I call fads. Now, that's a cynical view, and a, a Christian pastor would probably bust my behind for that. But it is. It's fads or moves of the Spirit. But for the last 20 or so years... The Spirit-filled church has really leaned heavily on healing and, and miracles. That's kind of been the uh, that's kind of been the, the focus and the and the grunt of this last kind of cycle. Well, more and more, that's starting to kind of go by the wayside. Is God moving on to something new, possibly, or is that brand just not selling anymore? Maybe. I, again, I know this is cynical. I'm just telling you what I, what I think. Throw it in the trash. If you don't like it, it's fine. We can still be friends. But more and more teachers are starting to pick up on throwing a little Hebrew word in there, throwing a, something about Passover in there, doing a little this, a little, a little Hebrew thing here and there. And that's great. I'm all for it. Listen, if the Father is opening people's eyes, go after it. But you see two really distinct things happening when in this in this kind of era in this age, and that's number one. People treat the feast days like a conference or like a. And I say this all the time, not to beat a dead horse, but for any of watching a live stream or you hear if you never heard this, but we go to a conference, a two day retreat or something like that for a shot in the arm, like a oh I need a, a faith builder so. I'm going to drive four states away and go hear people talk for two days, and I'm going to come back all fired up. And that fired up lasts for all of about two weeks until we fizzle out. And so we need another injection. We need another, whew, every Sunday has got to be bigger and better and louder and faster and stronger and, and all that kind of stuff. So more and more Christians are seeking out some of the, the biblical feast days, and my fear is that it's for a a different, it's for an injection of, of enlightenment, a, a something new to, to keep them emotionally charged to serve God. Because we are emotional addicts. 
And that's kind of the way that this whole thing operates. And so those people will bust down. I don't know how many people I had to say, I'm sorry, we're out of room for Pesach because we really were. We're out of room for Pesach, probably 20, 30 people. And not to disparage them, but they've never been here on a Shabbat. They've, they've never kept a Shabbat their entire lives. You say, well, what if Pesach was the gateway for them? It doesn't work like that. That's evangelistic, and we don't do that. Because the scripture says that Pesach is a covenant meal for people who are keeping the terms of the covenant. If you want a gateway in, if you're the least bit interested in in the mitzvah, the Torah, you're going to come to Shabbat. There's a reason why it is the first moed, the first appointed time in Leviticus, because it comes first. And it happens every seven days. The other danger that we have is that teachers, preachers, pastors, whatever, are teaching using these kind of Hebrew slanted terms and messages, but they're not living it. And I just, I am not perfect by a long shot. People ask me, I had a phone call just before service. And a very nice gentleman was asking me what I believed about something. And I just had to tell him, well, I don't really know. Sorry. Sorry if that disappoints you. And he was kind of like, oh, okay. Well, all right. Not to say that that we're perfect because God knows we're not. And I hope, hopefully I show you that. Um. But if you're teaching about the Hebrew things and not living them or not trying, not making a way, making your way to that, it's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous place to be. I listened to a video yesterday of, um, I don't even know who the guy was, but I guess he's popular because this video got like a gazillion shares on Facebook. I guess that makes you popular. It makes you a theologian. Um, but explaining about how he knew all about Hebrew time and biblical time and how, um, Obviously, Yeshua was killed on a Friday and rose Sunday morning, and that makes three days easy. Because in Hebrew timekeeping, any part of a day is considered a day. And yeah, that's true. But a lot of knowledge, no obedience. And that's very dangerous. And again, not to say that you have to be perfect and keep every eye. That's not what I'm saying. We learn in doing. We understand in doing. Jumping in there and getting our feet wet. So the Shabbat... The designated times of Adonai, which you're to proclaim, you're to proclaim by what you say, by how you act, holy convocations, these are my designated times. Verse 3, I'll beat this dead horse for a couple minutes and then I'll quit. Work is to be done five days, and then the seventh day is a Shabbat. Wait, we're missing a day. Five days, and then the seventh day. Let me reread it. I I know this is tough, but the commandment is to work six days. And then have a holy convocation. Now, people that don't like other people, twist this up and make this word convocation, mikra in the Hebrew, mean all kind of stuff it doesn't mean. What it means is a rehearsal or a a gathering. It's a together word. That's the emphasis. You, You be together. I know you don't like each other, maybe. You may not get along with certain people. Some people smell funny. I get it, whatever. 
Some people believe there's a hell and some people don't. Some people believe the earth is flat and some people don't. I get it. There's all, but you're supposed to be together. That's the point. That's the whole idea behind a Mikra Kodesh, a holy gathering. Be together. Now, this is not like, this is not like killing anybody who's not here today if you're catching this after or watching or whatever because people have issues and understand it. But if you say you're not issues like, you got issues, I mean, stuff. Anyway. But if, I do have issues. But if you say, I keep the Torah, and yet you hardly ever meet with anybody in a fellowship, a congregational setting, because you can't get along or you disagree or because you can't handle a different opinion or because of whatever, you're not keeping the Torah at all, pal or ma'am or whatever. It's about being together. And Mr. Joseph, another wonderful saying he has that unity does not mean uniformity. Nobody standing up here behind this microphone of all the teachers we have, nobody while they're teaching, while they're passionate about what they're teaching, and they believe it the way they're teaching it, nobody expects everybody else to mindlessly go, okay, we'll do that. Nobody does. Avi gets really passionate about the way he understands things. He doesn't expect everybody to think that way. We all all have that bent where we just, I just want to follow. You know what? Last week, I would ask for a show of hands, but I'm not. Last week, a lot of you got nervous over the discussion that we had because it got kind of hot. And my my job, my my role, I wasn't listening to any of the, the opinions that were happening. I was looking around at y'all trying to figure out who I was going to have to pick up off the floor at the, at the, when the conversation moved on. What kind of damage control am I going to have to do when this, when this all ends up? But here's the, I thought about it a lot this week, and this thought came to me. And you might agree, you might disagree, but I think it's brilliant. So I, you can be wrong if you want, it's fine. There was no closure at the end of, of last Shabbat. And what do we want? We want closure. So two people have a, a vehement disagreement, or three people, or ten people have a vehement disagreement. What we want as humans is we want somebody, the leader, at the end to stand up and say, you've heard all the evidence, this is what we're going to do. This is what we're going to believe. Okay, somebody told me what to believe. This ain't that. So part of the reason some people got nervous and upset wasn't that there was a debate going on. It's because it was left open-ended for you to figure it out yourself. Oh, man. That sucks. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to say that. Oh, well. That, man, that's an awful place. You mean nobody's going to tell me what to believe? What kind of church is this? Aha. <laughs> it's not. So uh, think about that this week because another roundtable is coming up in three more weeks and uh, it's going to be good. Um, so think about that. It, does debate make you nervous because you don't like confrontation? I don't like confrontation. That's what makes me nervous. Or is it because you're waiting for the answer? And the fact is there isn't one. There isn't one. I don't know how we got off on this. Oh, Mikra Kodesh, yeah. So this idea of holy convocation is all about being together. About being together. 
Miss Laura said, iron sharpens iron. But some of us in here are not iron yet. We got to be careful. And I'm not saying that to degrade anyone. I'm saying know that you're not iron yet and be cool with that. Like I haven't been through the fire yet. Because as we talked about a few weeks ago, when you make hardened steel, there's a process. Watch forged in fire. It goes in the fire, it comes out, it gets beaten. Oh, most of us think that's where it ends. Oh, thank you, Father. Baptism of fire and I've gotten beaten up. I'm done. No, 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 no. You're going back in the fire and getting beat again. And then back in and getting beat again. And here's the thing. The bigger weapon you want at the end, the more times that process has to happen. You want to make a little friction folding knife, a little pocket knife that this long? Two heats. That's it. And you're done. You want to make a claymore, you know, which is like seven feet long, not that long, but it, you know, it's one of the longest swords in history. It's, it's a day of heating and beating, heating and beating, heating and beating, heating and beating. So sometimes when somebody asks you how you're doing and you want to complain, just think I'm getting heat and beat. That's what, that's the process I'm in right now. Heat and beat. And then after that, it's got to go through a grinding process to knock off all of the scale, the stuff that formed as a result of being heated. Why? Because all the impurities come out of the steel and the oxidation and all that stuff. It forms this black grimy layer on the top. That's really tough. But to get to the good metal underneath, the good steel underneath, you got to get through that. So it has to be ground. And so many of us come out of trial and fire and heat the heat and beat process. We come out of that thinking I'm good now, but we're so calloused and we're, we've got such this layer of on us that we might have some things right, but we don't let anybody in. We don't let anything. Ah, mm, ah, everybody stay away. That's isolation. But then the grinding process, it's got to go back into the fire after that. Yeesh. To be hardened. Oh, here's the good stuff. Got to be hardened. Comes out of the harden, hardening at the fire and it goes into a, a vat of oil or water, but usually oil. Ah, And it comes out. But that's not the end because that makes it ultra hard. And if anything hits against it, if you try to sharpen iron with iron at that point, it's going to break because it's brittle. You mean after all of this, I'm a janky looking blunt sword and I'm still brittle? What is up with this process? So you know where it goes? Back into the fire for a tempering. You know people who have been serving God for a long time because they're not combative. I mean, who have really been seeking the Father for a long time. They're not combative. Most of us, when we came into Torah, we went through that Torah terrorism stage. Sadly, some people have been keeping the Torah for 30 years, and they're still Torah terrorists. Back in the fire. Heat and beat. People that have been the wisdom, you know, we look at these white-haired, you know, white-bearded people or, you know, if you're tradition, the blue-haired old ladies who were just so sweet, could love everybody, didn't combat. Why? Because they had gone through all the processes, but they didn't stop. They also went through the tempering. The tempering is a low, slow burn. It lasts longer than any of the other introductions to the fire. 
It's just low and slow, and you just sit there and bake. And what that does is it retains some of the hardness, but it makes it pliable, soft enough, not soft at all, but soft enough to where it doesn't break when it comes up against other steel. So when we say iron sharpening iron, we have to understand where in that process we are. And if we get, I'm going to say something else you're not supposed to say. If you get butt hurt about stuff, you're in a younger part of the process. You're in an earlier part of the process. That's okay. Understand that's okay. It's just where you are. It's just part of, I get butt hurt about stuff. I got butt hurt this week. It happens all the time. But what it tells me is where I am in the process. I haven't been tempered yet because I still want to be combative in some areas. This is an area I haven't been tempered yet. So all of that, in my opinion, is part of the Mikra Kodesh. You thought I forgot where I was, didn't you? It's all part of the Mikra Kodesh. It's all part of how we interact with each other. It's all part of what we do. It's all part of being together. And I used to say, I don't say it much anymore, but I used to say when I teach, I hope that everybody goes home a little mad and a little, um, you know, a little infuriated, a little offended. What I mean by that is I hope something that's said pricks you because some of us, the only way we'll dig for ourselves is if we're mad about it. <laughs> I'll show you. <laughs> you know the whole reverse psychology thing? Hey, I bet you can't climb that telephone pole. Some of you would kill yourself to prove that you could do it. Then some of us would be like, eh, you're probably right. Whatever. I don't care. I'm going to get a Dr. Pepper. Um, but that some of you, the only way you'll dig is if somebody hacks you off to the point where you're going to prove them wrong. And that's part of that. That's part of that Mikra Kodesh. That's part of that being together. So we didn't cover any of the feasts, but that's not what I wanted to do today. I wanted to talk about being together because my, my function in this part of the body is to bring people together and to keep people together, not like against your will, but to, to help. I know, I know pretty much where everybody is in the process. I have a pretty good handle on that. And those who I don't know, Heather really knows because she's got discernment like a, she's excellent. But our job, the reason God gives us those insights and the reason God gives those insights to any leader, pastoral leader, is because their function is to keep everybody in kind of a symbiosis, a synergy where being together is the most important thing. And I'll just say this before I quit. I've heard the argument over and over. Well, if we're going to be in unity, why don't we just all go back to the church then and celebrate Sunday and Christmas and Easter? That, that's, that's just completely out of the realm of the argument. That, that has nothing to do with the realm of the argument. The argument is we're going to do this Torah thing. We're going to do it together. We may have little things here and there. That's fine. We're going to do it together. Like Avi gives the illustration of we're on a highway, and there's merge lanes all over the place. You might have gotten on 100 miles back. Somebody's 150 miles in front of you. They're waiting to get on, too. We have to make room for people to get on. And are they going to be driving slower than us? Yes. Are they going to aggravate us whenever we're slowing down and waiting for them to get on, but they don't because they're slowing down, waiting for us to pass, but we're slowing down, waiting for... You, you know, you've had that, like, just do something already. Yes, those things happen. But the point is they're trying to get on the road to go the same direction. And slowly we will get them up to speed and we'll all be driving together. And remember, 
All cars have blinkers for a reason. And there's a passing lane for a reason. All right, guys. Hey, well, I'm so thankful again that you were able to join us for this week's episode. Again, this throwback teaching from Parsha and more. You know, as we walk and as we study the Torah, it's really super important uh, that we not get stuck on a few passages that are kind of like our, you know, in our denominational backgrounds, depending on what denomination you came from, your denomination probably had uh, uh, some, what I call affectionately, I promise, uh, some pet scriptures, right? Um, for me, growing up Baptist, it was, you know, for sure, John 3.16 and the Romans Road, you know, and that was kind of the, that was kind of the places that we lived. Everything tied back to that. And your denomination, you know, your mileage may vary depending on where you came from. And I think it's important as to remember as we come into Torah and as we grow in the knowledge of the whole Bible, all of scripture, uh, that we really broaden our understanding of of the Bible and what it says about God and what it says about us and how we're supposed to represent him and how God really works in the world and using uh, godly wisdom and and good study and and surely a lot of prayer. And so I hope you enjoyed this uh, this old teaching from 2018, uh, four years old already, almost five years. And uh, I can't wait to be with you guys next week. Again, don't forget to join us on Shabbat mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We would love to see you. Pop in the Facebook chat. Tell us where you're from. Wish us a Shabbat Shalom. And uh, we would love to, to see you hang out. I hope you have a great week studying Parsha Imor along with the Haftarah and uh, the, the Brit Shah, the gospel readings. And until next week, just know that we love you guys and value you. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.